Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Corporate Drinker, a punk rock HR production. In each episode, Corporate Drinker explores the intricate ties between work culture and alcohol. Now there's no judgment here. The podcast tells stories of regular people like you and me who may have complicated relationships with drinking. I'll talk to leadership gurus, therapists, addiction specialists, and even HR and marketing professionals who have hot takes on how and why alcohol and work have become so interconnected. And of course, I'll speak to brilliant people with big ideas on cultivating genuine cultures of inclusion and belonging so leaders and employees can enhance their work environment and reduce unnecessary conflict with or without alcohol. On this episode, I'm talking to Ken McKimsey Middleton. He's the author of Bamboozled, How Alcohol Makes Fools of Us All. At the very beginning of the story, Ken tells us quite clearly, this book is not for alcoholics. This book is for people who have had success in areas of their career, but still feel like they are behind as it relates to their career, finances, or life because of their complex relationship with drinking. So if you're up for a conversation with someone who's been there in the corporate trenches and who dives into the science of how alcohol physiologically changes our brains and our bodies and keeps us trapped in a never-ending cycle of mediocrity, well, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Ken McKimsey Middleton on this week's Corporate Drinker. Hey, Ken, thanks for chatting with me today. Laurie, thanks for having me. Excited about the conversation. I'm so pleased to have it. So first of all, um, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? Yeah, so Kim McKimsey Middleton, I wrote a book recently called Bamboozled, which really, Laurie, is around really educating people on the dangers of alcohol. For me, my background, I didn't really have a problem with alcohol per se, maybe on my way to one, but I wasn't hitting or didn't hit rock bottom, if you will. And when I stopped drinking, I discovered that my life was so much better without it. So I wanted to write a book that educate people on all the dangers of alcohol, even if you don't have a problem, there's a way or a time that you should look at it to see, is it really serving you? And if you give alcohol consciousness a chance, your life can be so much better without it. Well, let's start with the title. I mean, bamboozled, that's pretty provocative. So tell me about the title. Of the book. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it goes right in line with the way I saw alcohol. So just to give you like to back up a little bit and give a context. So I came in the alcohol like most people do 18, 19, right in college and used alcohol as the crutch to give me the confidence that I didn't have before. I, at the at 18, 19 years old, was anxious like most teenagers are in a new environment that you don't know anyone and you want to be the cool kid. And for me, I was never, I wouldn't say, I was never shy, but I wasn't ever the most rambunctious or outgoing person. And finally, alcohol gave me all the confidence that I didn't have without it. So before, when it came to talking to the opposite sex or dancing in front of people, I was a little shy and reserved. With alcohol, I just had all of this... Uh, extra energy. And for me, it actually led, made me to think that it was my the true version of myself. So you take that and you extrapolate it over 19 years of drinking. I went into a career in sales, in which as you can imagine, I tell people all the time, if you get your undergrad in drinking in college, you get your master's in, in your, maybe your PhD in selling the sales industry. And, um, and it was one of those situations where it made me to live the life I wanted to. Like, I tell people I had to give up drinking, not because my life was so bad with alcohol. It actually was because my life was so good with alcohol, but I just didn't recognize 
all the ways that my life was being hindered because of it. And so the reason I stopped drinking, and it's very interesting about corporate responsibility and drinking the connection there. The reason I stopped drinking is because I left my former company. And when I left my former company, I started a business and and on my own as an entrepreneur. And it was so hard, Laurie, that I just recognized that for me to actually have or give myself the best chance to succeed, I had to take away anything that could be a hindrance. And even though I never thought alcohol was holding me back from being successful, I always knew in the back of my mind that it wasn't allowing me to give 100%. There was no way. That next day hangover, I was. I knew I was at 70 or 80%. And for me to be successful, I said I need to give 100%. So I looked at my wife and I told her, hey, babe, I think that I'm going to give alcohol a break for about 90 days. I said, because I just want to make sure if I go back into corporate America, at this point, I was about a year and a half into my own business. I want to make sure I've given it hundred percent. And I knew without doing that, I could not unequivocally say that. And Lori, I tell you, I made more money, money in those 30, 90 days than I made in the previous nine months. Like it wasn't even close. Well, yeah, you're on fire when you're in a period of detox, when you're not like cognitively depleted, when you're hydrated, when you're sleeping. I mean, all of that makes sense. I do want to get back to the title of the book, though. Why I find it so provocative is that the word bamboozled has been historically used for individuals who have been victims of like voting rights fraud, right? Who have been victims of the vote disenfranchisement who have been victims of a dominant culture telling them they're not good enough, they're not smart enough to participate. And I wonder if you see parallels with that and with alcohol, because it's sold as one thing, but it can be an oppressive tool. And that was my, that was exactly my recognition. It was the sense that I thought alcohol was giving me all of these things as I shared my lack of confidence and, and my ability to be the person that I wasn't, I thought I, I was internally. But what I recognized once I stopped drinking is that alcohol had been fooling me for all those years because the reality was I wasn't allowing myself the ability to become that person without alcohol. I needed alcohol to have conversations in a social environment and things of, and deal with emotional issues. But what I recognized after I stopped drinking, and to your point earlier, I started to experience all the positive ways that I could approach the world. I was like, man, I have a much better upside than I had before with alcohol. Alcohol was actually giving me a ceiling. And even though it made it easier to get to that ceiling, once I removed it from my from a, a selection, now my upside and my where I can be is so much higher. So it's just that it, alcohol is fooling you because it appears that it's helping you. But what you don't recognize is that it's subtly do, being the thing that is holding you back more than anything else. Well, I want to talk about this alcohol consciousness movement and really the crux of that and what it's all about. So can we start with that? Can you tell us yeah. more about it? Yeah. And that's where I really want to be clear in regards to my stance on alcohol. I don't demonize alcohol. I don't. And I actually, I wrote an article in my publication that I believe there is a time in life that everyone should drink. I, I don't have a problem with alcohol. It's so funny because when I stopped drinking and I would go out with friends and people would be drinking, they're like, hey, I'm going to drink tonight. Are you, you going to be okay? And I'm like, I don't care what you do. It doesn't affect me. But it's around what I, when I talk about alcohol consciousness, it's about making the decision to drink full knowing what the trade-offs are that you're making. As I shared before, what I thought and what I think a lot of people think is that there are only two dichotomies when it comes to drinking. Either you drink and you're fine or you're an alcoholic. 
As long as you're not an alcoholic, then you're probably okay. But what they don't recognize is there's a huge spectrum that we're all on. And even when you've never reached that rock bottom or you never reached that point of addiction, there are so many negative things that alcohol is doing for you and causing you to hold you back that you do not know. So when I talk about alcohol consciousness, it's the decision to not drink, not because you're going to be a degenerate, but because you are conscious about your health, about your well-being, about your wellness. No different as someone that don't eat fried chicken or eat a bunch of sugar because they're health conscious. They're not addicted to sugar. They're not addicted to the fried chicken, but they want to live a long and healthy life. So they make the decision not to have it. And that's what alcohol consciousness is about. It could be fun for a while, but at some point for you to live a long and holistic life, I think everyone should give it up. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation, the role of corporations, and that's something I'm really fascinated by, because I think the pendulum for a lot of years was team building, drinking, and it is now swinging back to corporate sobriety and prohibition. And, and prohibition usually doesn't work. You can't tell people what to do, right? You know, they got to they gotta come to it themselves. So I just wonder what you think of the role of corporate social responsibility and what obligation do we have as employers to take care of our people? I think the biggest thing you can do is not to make it the default choice when it comes to team building. So as I shared earlier, masters when it comes to drinking is in the sales community. So when I started working for my former company, meeting, going out with your coworkers and drinking at happy hours and meeting your customers out, that was just what we did to the point, Laurie, that if you didn't do it, you stood out tremendously. Well, and I want to I want to quickly explore that with you because when you stand out tremendously, it probably uh, hurts you with team cohesion, but it also hurts your pocketbook, right? Well, there, in some ways, right? There's no doubt about it. If you're not careful, if you want to talk about getting promoted and and getting the boss to like you, if you're not the person that's willing to go out and drink after hours and spend that time, there seems to be a subtle way that you are holding your career back. And that was just a real way of that. It, it was something that had to happen or, or that was affecting people. So when I think about it, what I think about is that it all is connected to the diversity movement in a way, in the sense that if you were a company that you're thinking about some like your outgoing activities, you wouldn't do all the same type of activities. You can't because there's certain people that aren't going to like it. And so with so many companies, their default being happy hours, now you need to get way more creative to make sure you're not socially ostracizing anyone and you're not negatively holding someone back because of their decision not to drink. Sure, that makes sense. I am curious about what makes sales professionals particularly open to drinking a lot because that's not just a trope. I mean, that bears out in research that sales professionals drink more than the average worker. So do you have any theories on that? I, oh, without a doubt, like I lived it for so long. I'm still living in because I never stopped being a salesperson. There's primarily two reasons for it. Number one is that the sales job can be inherently stressful. So when you think about the fact that you eat what you kill, and for some people, if you have a low base, if you're not selling, you're not producing, that could be a huge effect on your ability and your livelihood. So just that in and of itself is somewhat stressful where we always talk about the roller coaster of sales. So you're doing this all the time and to in some way to keep you from losing yourself, people drink to cope with that roller coaster. The second aspect of it is <laughs> sales is about relationship building. 
And there's very few things that will allow you to build a relationship faster with someone than to share a drink with them. And so it's just the nature of going into the industry and understanding that this is a tool that's been used for so many years to kind of short circuit or short, uh, or shortcut the relationship building. And for me, what I learned when I stopped drinking, I could still do those things, Lori, but I had to be a lot more intentional and a lot more creative to build the relationships. And in the same way that I told you before, alcohol makes it seems like it's easier and you get there easier by being more creative. I, it was a little more challenging to get there, but my upside was higher because I was building not superficial relationships from alcohol, but real true relationships from really understanding and learning who the person was I was working with. I like that. I like that a lot. And, you know, to be able to articulate true value, you know, and, and true, I think, uh, attention to a customer's needs and to solve those customers' problems, you can't really do that when you're drunk, right? Maybe you get there 15 or 20% of the way, but then you have to deliver on the goods. You have to articulate why exactly you're the right person or your product is the right product. And I would imagine that after a while, after heavy drinking, you kind of erode your ability to communicate, right? You're not presenting as well. I, I don't know. I'm guessing I've never been in sales, but that kind of relentless drinking that I see happening in sales, I think is just a, a, a obstacle to better communication. What typically happens, I'll tell you. So it is a and it depends on your relationship with people. So you get into a situation where you're drinking with a your customer and initially you are reserved and you because you don't want to go over the board because you're 100 percent right. You have to be ridiculous. The first time you're drinking somebody, you're like taking shots and going crazy. Right. Don't do that. No one's that crazy. But as you continue to build a relationship with somebody, you have a tendency to loosen up and over time it can go over the heel. So what could happen is initially you're reserved, you're reserved, you're reserved. And then once you build that relationship, you might let yourself loose. What I've seen happen to a lot of people, and this happens with customers and this happens with companies, internal employees. And once you get to a point in which you're so comfortable with you're drinking around others that you stop letting go of your kind of conservative manner, you put yourself at risk of doing or saying something that can ruin all of the goodwill that you have engineered over those years. And that's the negative effect of alcohol. It's good until it's not good anymore. And that's what happens to people over time. They ride the wave, they ride the wave, they ride the wave. They become so um, physiologically addicted to it. And then next thing you know, your career does this because like you said, your ability to communicate, your ability to deliver, it all goes down, you know? And, and it's just, it's a nat natural evolution of people if they drink for a consistent amount of time. Wow, that's amazing. All right, so, you know, it's not like you mentioned just a few minutes ago that you're not still selling. You're selling, you, you work, you've got a career, right? You're an author. And I do want to drill down a little bit deeper because how do you create those connections with people to show them that you can solve problems or you have an answer for them, especially, you know, in just a day to day job, you need to be able to be persuasive and people do business with people they like, know, and trust, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So for me, it was, well, one, it, because I'm cognitively more aware than I was when I was drinking. So when I was drinking, that was my default. So I would go out with people, I would drink, and I was 
in some way having a crutch of the relationship being what was going to take me through the sale, not needing to always be on my P's and Q's or not really being um, the most creative in my solutioning. Now that I'm more cognitively aware, I'm able to provide a better value because I'm just, I'm my synapses are, are clicking so much faster. So it's just better in that respect. When you talk about, as I shared before, the relationship, whereas before we would go to a bar and drink, conversation, if we're really drinking, we may not even remember what we talked about. We just may have finished with, I love you, man. And the next day, we don't remember what we talked about. Now, in my relationships, I and I'll, I will still go out with my customers and they will drink, but I won't drink, but we'll still, we can have conversations. But what I typically try to do differently is, what else do you like to do besides drinking? Like people have other things they like to do other than drinking. Let's lean into those things. Hey, you like to go rock, rock climbing? Let's go to a, let's go rock climbing. You like to go um, do a jazz bar? Let's go to a jazz bar. Like I'm thinking about more things that they like that really gets to who they are as a person. And I, honestly, I try to do healthy things like outside things. And then from there, when we're talking, these are things we remember. These are conversations that are really and sometimes dive into a deeper relationship. So as I shared, it's a little more difficult to get there. But when I think about some of my relationships now versus my relationships five, six, seven years ago, they're much deeper now because we care about each other as a person, not about the person that we just spent two or three hours in in a bar and may not even remember what we did during that time. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I'm so impressed with your book and I just want to take readers through it very briefly. So how is the book structured and what's in it for them? Yeah, so I, I the way I really structured it is really to educate the reader on kind of the flow of alcohol. So I I have four different parts to it that I um in questions that I've asked. The first part is why do we do it? And the why do we do it is really show or goes through the history of alcohol. Um, when I was writing the book or researching the book, I often thought like, how did alcohol get started? And how did it get to the where it is today? And I was, I was thinking maybe a lot of people are thinking that too. So it walks through the history of how it got started, prohibition, all of those things, and really dives into, I think, the social engineering aspect of it. Like I tell people, you think you drink because you want to, you drink because you've been told to and marketed to probably since the age of three, four, five, and you don't even realize it. And I walked through all of that to help people understand. Next, I talk about why do you have to gain from it? So gain from not drinking. So as I walk through the history of it, I walk through how you're socially engineered and how the pressure is there in so many ways. Then I talk about what do you have to gain from it? If you give it up and all the different ways, if you give up drinking, your life can be better, right? Finances can be so much better. Your relationships can be so much better. Health-wise could be tremendously better. Life in general can be so much better. Career. So I walk through that. Um, and the way I tell those stories, Laurie, is something I call alcohol parables. So what I typically do in that part of the book, I try to show uh, the dichotomy or the juxtaposition of two individuals who both start off at one aspect of their life kind of drinking and kind of deciding that that's fun for them. And then they get to a crossroads in which they ask themselves the question, is this really serving me? One person goes one way, the other person goes a different way. And then you're able to see and play out how their lives turn out as a result of it. So then you can kind of see kind of what happens to the choices that we make. Yeah, I love that writing technique, by the way. I think that's genius. And I also feel like uh, seeing a parable also helps to make this whole thing more relatable. It makes it more human. So I love that you've employed that. What What's next in the book? So next is how do you how do you do it or how do you do get, give it up right so we talk about you talk about why you do it we talk about what do you have to gain from giving it up next is how do you give it up 
Uh, and I have this thing called the meds that I, is my holistic way to give up alcohol. It stands for, it's an acronym of four letters, and it stands for M, stands for mechanical reengineering. And what that relates to, and it goes back to when I talked to you, talk to you about the social engineering and priming of the media and how it makes you want to drink. Mechanical reengineering is you have to change the way you think about alcohol. And the first step of that is education. It's reading. It's diving into all of the different books out there. And I tell people all the time, I had someone hit me up the other day. I was like, hey, man, I've, I've been thinking I got your book. I'm not going to start reading it until I give up drinking. I was like, no, no, no. You can read the book while you're drinking. Actually, I prefer if you do, because as you read it, I'm going to share with you scientifically all the things that alcohol does to you. And I want you to be in the moment to ask yourself, is this happening to me? Is Am I going through this? Like It helps to illuminate when you see and you hear about, prime example, so ridiculous now when I think about it, but I never made the connection, Lori, that when I woke up at two or three o'clock in the morning and couldn't go back to sleep, that it was because of alcohol. I, I, I did. I didn't know that. I thought I was just being anxious or I was worried about the next day. I, I didn't make the connection that I'd just been drinking for four hours and now my body was full of sugar and I have um, my dinorphins were just going through the roof and keeping me up because my body was anxious trying to get that alcohol out of my body. So it helps people to see what they're going through and experience it real time, right? So then E stands for exercise commitment. The reason I put in exercise commitment for me Trying to get through stopping drinking with willpower alone is really, really hard, in my opinion. You can do it through willpower, fantastic. But I give you substitutes and routines to do it. Those are two S's, I mean, two S and R's, substitutes and routines, things that can help you get over it. And exercise is one of the best ways for you to get over drinking because of the, the positive pheromones you'll get from exercising. Two, you have so much free time on your hands. It'd be a, people are always, that's one of the first things that surprises so many people when they stop drinking. They're like, I am so bored because I, I didn't realize how much I, how much time I spent drinking. So I say exercise is a way for you to use that, that time. And for me, I truly believe when you, if you can have an outer representation of your inner representation. So if out externally, if you can see a change in yourself, through exercise, if it's like losing weight or being toned or whatever, it will make you feel better about the internal change that you make. So I think there's a double whammy that it gives you a positive um, effect from the exercise that I truly believe internally, the pheromones, the positive effect of it. And then externally, you seeing, man, someone says, hey, you look good, man. What have you been doing? You're like, hey, I haven't drank for 90 days. Like, hey, you should probably keep it up because you look amazing. That's going to that encourages you. D stands for diet improvement. And the reason I say that, because I just feel like I'm big on exercise and diet, but there's a connection between eating the right stuff and feeling good. And if you're going to exercise to make sure you get to see those, those results as well. And just eating positive foods like um, vitamin B and certain things will reduce your cravings. So eating right helps tremendously when it comes to not drinking alcohol. And then lastly, and this is for me, the most important one is success seeking. And the reason I use this as the last one, Lori, and why I, I say if, if you don't, well, you got to stop drinking at first. But this is the one, if you don't do exercise, if you don't do diet, you need to do success seeking. It's because I believe when you stop drinking, you have given yourself a gift. And that gift is having complete mental awareness, cognition, and abilities to do some things that you never could have done with alcohol. And I tell people, if you're going to use your sobriety or your alcohol consciousness and sit at the house all day and watch Netflix and chill, that's cool, but you're wasting this amazing gift. And to ensure that you don't relapse, 
by giving yourself a goal, something that you're focused on, that it takes a much higher version of yourself than the version that was drinking, you then put something that makes you say, I cannot go back to who I was. Like for me, I, I was learning Korean. I've been learning Korean for the last two and a half years. My wife's Korean. And it is really, really hard. And there is there is no way that Ken Middleton, who was drinking, could in any way, shape, or form have, be learning Korean right now. But I've been doing it for the last two and a half years. So for me, I couldn't go back to drinking because I there's no way I would I would waste that two and a half years. Sure. So you give us this really great framework. How do you wrap up the book? Yeah, and you know it's it's the classic. It's it's kind of cliche, but the class it ends with uh, so who do you want to be with another W question, and the question is red pill or blue pill. You now know you have the knowledge, right? You can take the red pill and go back to who you were, or you can take the blue pill and live your future and be someone that you potentially could be. So it's around. And once again, I don't demonize alcohol. If you drink, it's fine with me. I just want you to have the information, and then you make the choice. Eyes wide open as the day progresses and you go forward. Well, you know, I think about the work that you've done, and it's absolutely like a miraculous that you were able to do this. And you have a full time job, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all right. Yeah, so you're, you're like really putting yourself out there. How does your employer feel about all this? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny you say that. So it... It can be one of two ways. So you got a lot of people that are like, man, this is awesome. I love what you're doing. This is, it means a lot to me. And then you have other people that are kind of like, I don't know if this is work appropriate. Like you're trying to put your values on other people. And I, and I often try to be like, and that's why I don't demonize alcohol. And I try to press upon them. Like, I'm not telling you not the drink of the, I'm just wanting to educate people. So you get one, you get two schools of thought, people that kind of love it. And people that are kind of like, well, how dare you do, you don't have the right to do this, which that they're just misunderstanding my message, to be honest with you. Cause I, I'm not trying to preach to anybody. Yeah, you're not trying to preach, but there are good lessons for the corporate world, especially around the concept of belonging. And this is something that I'm very passionate about. I think the correlation to diversity, equity, inclusion programs is so clear to me because you can't create an environment that's one size fit all and respect your workforce. So I would imagine that some corporations, maybe even your own employer really finds your book of value because it's like preaching a different way of looking at the workforce in the future. I don't know. Am I, am I right about that? No, I, I, Lori, I'm picking up what you're putting down because that is exactly my goal. My goal as I write this book and I try to reach out to companies is that it does exactly that. It opens up, and I don't know if it's an HR person, it's the culture and wellness person. It just opens up a conversation to say, are we inclusive in our practices? Are we always trying to have happy hours or doing something involving alcohol? And once again, there's nothing wrong with it from time to time. It just can't be the default. You gotta have more and creative options to make sure everyone feels included and appreciated and welcome. Oh my goodness. Well, as we start to wrap up the conversation, I wanna ask, is there something I didn't ask you that you would like to share about your book, about your journey? Um, anything you'd like to leave our audiences with? You know, I, I know, I think we, you know, we walk through it. I, I just say that I, I tell people all the time that I am not a sobriety coach. I don't like, if you are addicted to alcohol and you have a real problem with alcohol, my book, and it, it's probably not the book for you. Could it help you? Maybe, but I am not a sobriety coach. I am a wellness advocate. 
I am not trying. My book is not focused on people who have hit rock bottom and, and they're in the gutter. It's for people who are living an okay life. Life is fine. But they just recognize that alcohol, am I sure it's really providing the best value for me? And there's that little, because I tell you, even when I was drinking, even my entire time and things were good, there's always that little voice in the back of that head, the bit mic at my head. And if that little voice is saying, are you sure you're being the best version of yourself with alcohol? If you hear it, I feel like you should give this book a read and give alcohol consciousness a try. Well, I love the invitation to go deeper in our own individual lives. I think that is so needed more than ever. And I appreciate the conversation today. Thanks again for chatting with me about corporate drinking. No problem. Thanks for having me, Lloyd. It's been fantastic. Thanks. The Corporate Drinker Podcast is a special series brought to you by Punk Rock HR. If you like what you heard, head on over to your favorite streaming platform and leave a five-star rating and a review. You can also head on over to punkrockhr.com for news, information, show notes, and all the good stuff related to Corporate Drinker. This episode was expertly produced and edited by my friends at Emerald City Productions with special help from Danny and Michael. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the Corporate Drinker Podcast.